Hey everybody, Organizing Monster here, Juan Perez, and I'm here with my partner in crime. Well, you're, I thought I was going to start out, but hey everyone, I'm Chris Lopez. I'm your union brother on TikTok, Instagram, all the platforms, and um, we are doing the Union or Bus podcast in our new studio. Um, this okay. is really, really cool. Um, we just got it last month, and we have a special guest uh, on the Union or Bus podcast. We have Bill Fletcher Jr. And, and, and sir, would you tell us a little about yourself? Well, first, thanks for having me on the program. Uh, I've been looking forward to this uh, since, we, since we connected. So I um, briefly, I'm originally from New York, uh, then lived in Boston, now outside of D.C. Um, my history of activism goes back to when I was 15, uh, a high school um, activist. And in fact, since we'll probably be talking about this, my involvement with the issue of Palestine started in the spring of my freshman year in high school. And it had a major impact on my thinking. Um, and so maybe if we have time, we'll get into that. Um, college graduate, went to work as a welder in a shipyard uh, to get into the labor movement. I've been in the labor movement most of my adult life. Uh, also ran an organization called Trans Africa Forum. Uh, that dealt with, uh, it was an organization that was very important in the anti-apartheid struggle. And I took over as the second president. And uh, and I continue to do work around the labor movement, international solidarity. And now I am a novelist. Um, I have two murder mysteries out. Oh, cool. And, uh, so we can maybe talk about that as well. It's another part of my kind of who I am. I like how you mentioned uh, it, uh, solidarity because we got it right back here and international solidarity. I've seen that message. Um, you know, I definitely consider you a, a labor, a labor movement activist. And, you know, it's interesting right now because UAW, uh, Sean Fain, um, UAW is responsible for running the running one of the most successful strikes in U.S. history. And I think, uh, Sean, um, and people are looking up to labor right now when it comes to, you know, rebuilding the middle class and, you know, Sean Fain and, and he is one of, one of some unions that actually come in support of, uh, the ceasefire movement, UAW's official statement. And, and I think that we have this platform right now. Labor has this platform because our approval rating is like 71%. Highest since 1965, maybe, uh, and then Gen Z, 88%. We are, people are looking to us and they're looking to us for guidance. And that's, and that's really cool right now. It's one of the reasons we did this podcast because Juan and I are, you know, very, very active. We know you're active. And, and it's so, it's almost like the labor movement is, there's a nexus been created. And um, talk about the importance of labor. Maybe uh, talk about what you think, sure. what you think uh, is going on. So I think that the um, developments in the United Auto Workers have been very, very important. Uh, I, I would situate this, though, in a somewhat different way, that beginning in the 1990s, uh, there has been an active attempt to turn organized labor around. And it, uh, many people expected a much more rapid turnaround. It didn't happen. Uh, but there were various unions that started experimenting with different approaches to organizing, to uh, collective bargaining, et cetera. Um, and then we had Occupy. And Occupy, I think, along with the Madison uprising, Madison, Wisconsin uprising, started to really focus more and more people on economic injustice at a very broad scale. Uh, I mean, all of this actually was initiated by the Arab uprising uh, that begins in 2010, 2011. But when it comes to the US shores, that's when you start seeing it, Madison, Occupy. Um, and this started to have an impact. So the rumblings have been there. It's sort of like the, the preparation before um, an earthquake. Um, and then we had developments like the Teamsters 
and their uh, struggle with UPS. It almost became a strike. Then we had the uh, Writers Guild and the SAG after. So a number of reverberations. And then the UAW, which I think carried a brilliant job in, in so many ways and uh, very good tactics. So this is all very important. So, but point number uh, two is this, that I think that when we look at these recent contract battles, even in their success, they've missed something. And the thing that they've missed in almost every case is they haven't built a greater connection between their bargaining demands and the broader public. So the broader public in almost every one of these struggles was in sympathy with the workers. But there's a difference between being in sympathy and actually being in solidarity in that, in that what you didn't really have, I, let me give you an example. It's not the UAW. Um, the, the Writers Guild and the Screen Actors Guild, one of their big issues was uh, artificial intelligence. Yeah. And the impact that that was having. Okay. Well, the last time I checked, the Writers Guild and the Screen Actors Guild weren't the only people concerned about artificial intelligence in U.S. society. Yeah. In fact, it seems like millions of people are. Therefore, the question is, why not build a connection between your fight around artificial intelligence in the entertainment industry and what many of us are feeling and fearing now? Build that connection so that to, bar to borrow from the Teamsters struggle of 1997, people felt in 97 when the Teamsters went up against UPS that the Teamsters were fighting for everybody, that they were fighting for workers who were part-time, contingent, as well as full-time, and people embraced that struggle. That's what we need across the board, that we need people to embrace what the UAW is doing, to embrace what the Writers Guild was doing, et cetera. And, um, and I think that that's, that's going to be one of the big challenges because it will ultimately mean changing the way we understand trade unionism. Right. And, and honestly, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly, because when when I would speak on what's going on with the Teamsters, what's going on with the writers and SAG on their fights, big part of it, like you said, it's with AI, the fight. And I was saying, like, look, check it out. These AI fights have been going on for a while when these warehouses are going into machinery. Um, Tesla is all machines now in their warehouse for the most part. So first they come for the warehouses and then they come for the truckers and then they're coming for actors now. So eventually this is a bigger problem than just these specific workers at the time. It's, it's an ongoing fight for everybody. And that's how I would talk about it just to, to be able to translate their fight so that everybody is able to like digest it and understand what they're going through. So, yeah, no, I think that that's a good point that, that you bring up about that fight. So I think that's why, and we brought you on really to talk about uh, the ceasefire yeah. with Palestine and Israel. I think labor, by them taking a stance with the ceasefire, maybe we're we're connecting bigger with with the with the world as a whole, with workers around the globe. We have that. We're beginning to have that international solidarity. Um, and I'm gonna give you an example of that. We had Sarah Nelson on a couple yeah. of weeks ago, the mm -hmm. international president of AFA. And she talked about international solidarity. She talked about how uh, the striking workers at Verizon, they, they stroke a few years back here in the US, they're part of CWA. And then Verizon shipped these jobs over to the Philippines. Like, okay, fine then, we'll just ship these jobs over. And then people in the Philippines didn't fill those jobs. They're like, we're not gonna be scabs. We're not gonna do that to our American comrades out there. So they wouldn't go to work either. And that was a part of that international solidarity that we're talking about. So, so what, what, like what, 
I understand that labor is taking the stance right now, or some unions are taking the stance. Why aren't all unions taking the stance with this uh, ceasefire? Why, why are people so afraid to speak on this? Is it because we're not that connected still, or are we are we in that phase right now where we're just beginning to be connected with the rest of the world? No, it's. Um, I think it's really important to understand that organized labor in the United States has always been divided on international issues. You could go back to the Spanish-American War. Um, you could look at uh, this, the approach to the Spanish Civil War of the 1930s. You could look at the divisions that happened in the 1960s around the Vietnam War. Uh, in fact, the UAW was one of the first to come out against uh, the US aggression in Vietnam. Oh, wow, uh, I didn't know that. Look, yeah. You could look at the 1980s uh, when labor divided around the wars in Central America and the uh, apartheid in South Africa. Again, the UAW, uh, the steelworkers and a number of other unions split. Uh, they, they, I shouldn't say split. They uh, took a very different position than the national AFL-CIO on that. So there is a long history to some unions in the movement, taking a great stand on international solidarity and others not. The national AFL-CIO on international affairs uh, for between 1955 when it was founded and 1995-96, very conservative. After that, when John Sweeney became the president of the AFL-CIO, their views on international affairs started to shift somewhat, um, but only somewhat. And, and so when we look at, then we have to look at Israel, the Israel and Palestinian question. And here is where domestic issues overlap international affairs. So with the founding of Israel in 1948, there developed a very strong advocacy movement within the U.S. labor movement in favor of Israel. Uh, organizations like the Jewish Labor Committee, very outspoken. And what happened in time, in part because of the alignment of the United States with Israel, and in part because there was a significant Zionist constituency within uh, organized labor. There, there was a refusal, I don't think that's overstating it, a refusal to have a real honest to goodness discussion about the complexity and nature of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. In fact, if you would raise it, you would often get, well, at a minimum ignored, otherwise shut down. I'll give you an example of something, because I used to work for the AFL-CIO. Um, at one point, I suggested to the individual who was then the Director of International Affairs, I said, listen, why doesn't the AFL-CIO invite over to an executive council meeting a representative of the Histadrut, which is the Jewish dominated labor federation in Israel, and a representative from the Palestine General Federation of Trade Unions. Invite them over to address the executive council and to give their respective views on the question. I, I thought that that was a reasonable suggestion. The then director just almost started, I mean, they were like vibrating. They said, oh, no, no. That, that would never work. I said, well, why not? No, no, that would, that would never work. No, no, that'd be much too controversial. I said, it's, what's controversial about it? You're having points of, oh, no, no, no. That was it. The discussion was over. Wow. So what's different now is that you have a number of unions speaking up in opposition to a Zionist framework. And are basically saying, no, there needs to be a ceasefire because there's genocide going on. 
And that's part of the difference. Um, so that you have within the union movement some very strong pro-Zionist forces. You also have elements that are fearful of taking a pro-Palestinian stance or even one that's just saying, let's, let's look at this. Uh, because they're fearing um, backlash. Um, and then you have another factor, which is this is a presidential election year. And organized labor, like most sane people in this country, do not want Donald Trump back in the White House. And but that's when the agreements diverge. Because the question then is, what does that mean? And what does that mean about speaking up in connection with the atrocities going on in Gaza? So all of those factors are at play. Wow, you gave us a lot to chew on there. Um, you know, I, I understand, you know, you know, we're all union members. Um, one of the things I've been looking at is, you have the institutions. I think the labor movement is divided into two categories. I think you have institutionalized unions that represent the members, organize for the membership, mm -hmm. negotiate contracts. But the other side of the labor movement is we're not going to let the billionaires and millionaires dictate our wages, our benefits, or our working conditions. We want to say in the decision-making process. So when the workers at uh, Amazon in Minnesota walked off the job, because of during COVID, the safety violations and so on and so forth, they weren't part of an institutionalized union. They just knew something was wrong and they, and they walked out. And I think that's kind of what's going on with labor, with, with the labor movement. You know, we're, we're looking at, you know, as a person, I don't agree with this and I want to speak up on this. And I think labor leaders, um, like, Sean, uh, Sean Fain, or, you know, that that's great, kind of give the megaphone, but this podcast is is dedicated to the labor movement, we're all, but we're also dedicated on, on trying to do the right thing. And we really want um, the world to understand, you know, it's it's also, yes, the institutions, you can have like an endorsement or, or, or an advocacy by a specific institution, but when you have you know, people speaking out when you have people in the streets marching and supporting a ceasefire. You know, you don't have to be a part of a certain institution. You can be uh, believe in doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. So I would divide the movement, the trade union movement. Um, the labor movement is actually broader than the trade union movement. But I would, I would divide the trade union movement into actually three segments, not two. Um, in the book that I co-authored with Fernando Gapacin, Solidarity Divided, we talk about labor being having um, uh, a conservative wing, uh, a pragmatist wing, and a, um, a kind of left progressive wing. And the conservative wing are those that uh, simply do not want to change. They like the way things are. Um, they uh, are trying to protect the narrow interests of unions as institutions. And they're guided very much by the thinking of uh, Samuel Gompers, the founding president of the American Federation of Labor, who, who talked about what was called bread and butter unions, mm -hmm. uh, not getting involved in politics, things like that. The pragmatists are people that range. You could look at John L. Lewis, who had been the president of the mine workers in the 1930s through 50s, I think it was, um, who was someone who wanted to see the union movement grow and expand. Um, but as long as it didn't go too far, 
uh, did not go too far to the left. But these are people that would be willing to work with the left as long as they were, they meaning the pragmatists, were running the show. Um, and then you have more the progressive wing. And these elements have been at odds with one another over time. And one of the one of the critical things at the level of strategy is to figure out how to isolate and defeat the conservative element. And that necessitates various kinds of alliances. So you end up having some trade union leaders who can be very militant. Um, their language can be very, very strong. But they're willing to go but so far. Fernando and I were saying that the union movement needs to be guided by what we called social justice unionism, a different framework than was articulated by Gompers. And so there's a struggle that we're constantly engaged in over really the heart and soul of trade unionism. Uh, and that's, that's like an ongoing struggle. And the question is, who ends up having the balance? at any one particular time. Yeah, I think that that's definitely tough because I used to work for the Labor Council um, yeah. here in San Diego and the Labor Council is the glue for all the unions to fall under and keep oh, them yeah. all together. So in the Labor Council, when we have our meetings, yeah, we have delegates from all, all the unions. So we have Unite Here with pre predominantly women, women of color, immigrant women, and then on this side, we have AFGE, American Federation of Government Employees, that represents Border Patrol. Right. And how do you hold that room together and have the same agenda together? That yeah. was always a battle, no matter what. There's always right. a union that had their own kind of uh, philosophy on unionism or even agenda of like, no, we should invest in this politician because they want to do this. No, we should invest in this other politician because they want to do that. So right. I, I think labor is trying to hold, it's like the country, the United States. We're trying to hold all the states together, millions of people together that have a hundred different ideologies. That's what labor is too. Uh, just a smaller faction of it, I guess. But like, for example, when you were talking about the unions that just want to keep it the way it is, a conservative side of it, and mm -hmm. we're kind of questioning the moment right now, like we're, we're questioning that, that pragmatism. Um, Right now, I see people questioning the whole cops, uh, police officers. Should mm -hmm. they be part of a union and part of the labor movement? They're mm -hmm. workers, too. We say mm -hmm. all workers deserve dignity and respect. Right. And cops and, 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 uh, and Border Patrol and ICE. So it's kind of interesting what, what I'm observing myself is like, oh, my God, there's so many different ideologies. But at the end of the day, what we all want is for everybody to have a union and a voice and to have a livable wage and healthcare. How do we get there wow. with, with all these divisions? You know, without, like Chris has a saying. Uh, it's, uh, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. With the other one, yeah. the one with the chopped somebody's oh, nose yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a, you know, I'm Christian and my dad's Hindu. And there's an old proverb in India that says, after you cut off someone's nose, there's no point in giving them a rose to smell. After you demean what someone holds as valuable, you could tell them the truth, but they'll never believe you because you demean what someone holds as valuable. Mm. And, and I think, cause I'm, you know, I, I'm pro-life, uh, one's pro-choice and this podcast and, and what we want for our viewers is we want to create something where people can rally around Abraham Maslow, you know, food, drink shelter that's kind of what the you know we see what's going on ba people are having was it 60 percent of people are living paycheck to paycheck mm -hmm. you, know, uh, you know it's 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 kind of it's terrible what's going on but i think the labor movement can rally around you know food drink shelter safety needs affordable health care i'm saying universal health care i think um unions can come together under international solidarity because like Juan's right. He's like, people have different interests, different political interests, but uh, you know, it's like, who, who's to argue, you know, giving someone something to eat 
or giving someone a place to live or giving someone, you know, the safety needs that they need, universal health care. And so it's it's very it's very complicated. Um, but uh, that's why this podcast is here. Yeah. To break it down. And I think and yeah. I think labor right now is organizing around the ceasefire. I think right now it's like the question at hand, basically. I before the whole situation that happened October seventh, I I I wouldn't say it often, but I was thinking in my head, like, well yeah, Biden's better than Trump and and he's horrible on a lot of things, just so is Trump. But Biden is good on the NLRB, labor. He's surrounding himself around a bunch of labor people. They passed a lot of laws that help with organizing. Uh, through the pandemic, they allowed unions to apply for PPP loans, not just businesses. So mm-hmm. they benefited my local union specifically. So I knew those facts. So I would always kind of argue back, like, well, actually, right. Biden will help with organized labor. Right. But then with this situation that happened October 7th, I was like, honestly, to me, I was in the Marines. I've been deployed. To me, this is that bad of a situation that I was like, you know what, fuck Biden too. And I've talked to a bunch of people that are saying the exact same thing. People of color, people, women of color, they're saying, you know what? Yeah, this is the last straw for me too. I don't care if it burns. And so I'm I'm kind of saying the same thing, but I'm, I'm here on the labor side though. I think we're trying to um, raise the flag and and turn off the and turn on the alarm to what's going on because he's lose he's going down on the polls because of this exact situation. Uh, now all of a sudden we see all these other candidates rising up in the polls and I think it has to do with this issue. Um, Barbara Lee, for example, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, we went to interview her in LA a couple months ago, and I spoke to her staff, her chief of staff, and he told me ever since this happened, the Israel Palestine situation, and she took that hard stance of ceasefire. Her poll numbers skyrocketed. Her support just skyrocketed because people want people care about this topic a lot. It's very personal to a lot of people. So that's why we believe it should be labor's calling. It should labor. All of labor should come out and that and call for a ceasefire. But I don't see the AFL doing it. Why don't why don't you think the AFL is calling for a ceasefire? If we see big old unions like UAW, Sean Fain calling for a ceasefire do you think there's something there in the background or or do you think eventually they'll call for one or maybe they just don't think it's the right move so i think that there's several issues in what you guys have just raised so i want to just sort of take it kind of one at a time um you will never get all of labor to do anything you will get elements of labor to do everything. And that everything is going to change at different points. So in other words, you're going to have a constant regroupment around different issues, and there will be divisions. Those divisions may not always be obvious, but they often play themselves out with this or that union deciding, they, regardless of what everyone else is doing, they're just gonna do whatever. Um, I heard um, recently a rumor that there was a union president that was considering endorsing Trump. And one of the people in that union said that they had an argument with the president, that president, and that president was saying some stuff that was completely irrational. He said, well, what's Biden done for us? Well, actually, without giving this away, quite a bit. Um, So there's something else that was going on influencing that particular union president. So you're gonna have differences that are gonna play themselves out. What we can do, uh, those of us that are progressive, is try to push the envelope to the extent that we can without being factional or sectarian. Right. And recognizing that we may get a majority on something, we may not. Uh, sometimes it will have to be a coalition of the willing. Um, I used to work for AFGE. Um, I'm actually a member of it. And what you're describing is part of the problem that is faced when you have these very different poles within an organization. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you have, um, as you said, ICE and Border Patrol, NAFGE, and then you have um, federal employees that are, you know, completely in non-military sectors, non-repressive apparatus sectors. And the, these folks don't necessarily get along. Um, so not all the differences can be resolved. That's my major point. Right. And to think that they can is delusion. Uh, that there will be big differences on certain things. The question is, how do we handle the differences? And do we go to war on those differences? The second thing you raised was about um, law enforcement and the issue of law enforcement being in unions. I think when it, when it comes to law enforcement, people can be in unions. I just think law enforcement should be in their own union. In other words, instead of being in AFGE and some people being in SEIU and some people being in AFSME, they should just be in their own union because law enforcement is a very conservative element and often restricts unions from doing anything. Um, I'm against anyone being told that they can't be in a union because once you get on that slope, that's a very slippery one. Um, now, the third thing is in terms of um, Biden and Trump, my attitude is this. I don't know what's going to happen in November 2024. My hope, as I mentioned in Democracy Now!, is that Biden will choose to not run for re-election. There'll be someone else. Um, but for people that say either that they're not going to vote or that it doesn't matter, I want to remind people of the slogan of the Communist Party of Germany in 1932, which was, after Hitler, us. In other words, they believed that Hitler was so off the wall that after coming to power, he would discredit himself and the Nazis. And that the communists would then be able to step forward and say, see, we told you these were jackasses. Now come with us. As we saw, history didn't quite play out that way. Um, and People that assume that should Trump be elected, that in 2028, we will have another chance, are engaging in wishful thinking. We should not assume that we will. You know, there's a saying, um, when someone tells you who they are, you should believe them. And Trump has told us who he is. And just a few weeks ago, he said he'll be a dictator for the first day. Now, a lot of people laughed at that, but I'm, I haven't been laughing. You know, we, we saw what this guy was capable of doing. If unless you were in a cave underneath the Pacific Ocean, you saw January 6th. So we know what they're capable of doing. We know that the far right is well-armed, and we're not I'm not talking about double-barrel shotguns. I'm talking about AR-15s. I'm talking about, you know, MAC-10s. I'm talking about bazookas, rocket-propelled grenade launchers, right? So we know, we know that. So if we choose in November to let Trump be reelected, we, we simply can't later say, well, we didn't know. No, we actually did. We did. And this is the dilemma, Juan, that we're in right now. And it is this is not an easy one, and which is why I've said, to, in fact, just an hour ago, I was saying to a high school friend of mine, I'm not talking to people right now mainly about the elections. I'm talking about we've got to get the U.S. to change its position on Gaza. That's what I'm focusing on. And then ultimately, we've got a black, black, we've got to block the MAGA forces 
They've got to be destroyed politically. And this is going to mean some very tough decisions that we're going to have to make. Right. So let's, we'll figure, we'll have to figure it out. And everyone, I mean, people are angry for really good reasons, man. You know, I mean, you know, I, I wasn't one of those that was saying, oh, Biden is too old, but, ah, you know. Because, so, I, I mean, my attitude was he led the country out of a depression. The, the economy collapsed in 2020. A lot of people don't seem to want to admit that, but the economy collapsed. More than a million people died, in large part because of what Trump did, you know, with COVID. Um, and, you know, we've been, uh, th th there was major investment put into um, uh, the, build, the Build Back effort, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, a number of things that also have an impact on climate. But Biden was never, he was never a leftist. We elected him because we didn't want Trump. I mean, we should be clear about that. And that, that's fine because we don't, we haven't had the forces to put into office right now the people that we want to be there. I think the labor movement uh, is plugged in right now. And part of the reason you know, the, we see the activism right now around the country. Yes. And in the 90s, there was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. I think there was MySpace, maybe. I don't know when that happened. That's but, right. But, the, but right now, these different platforms, you know, Vietnam was like the first televised war. Correct. Um, and uh, I remember history, uh, history class about that. This is the first... I think really with, with all the platforms, you have TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, or X, or however you want to call it, Facebook. Um, people are just out there showing you what's happening. And mainstream media has been so used to manufacturing consent. And with all these other platforms, people are getting their news from, from different, uh, different platforms. But Hopefully, it's a mixed bag. Yeah. But it's a mixed bag. Let me caution us, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're right on one level. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more that in a lot of ways you could, you could talk, almost talk about like a platform insurgency, mm -hmm. right? That, that's going on out there. The problem, though, is that what's also being circulated is a lot of really bad stuff. Misinformation, disinformation that people are sucking in believing it to be the truth. And this is part of, this becomes um, a kind of both educational and organizing challenge. Uh, and now when you add on to that AI, let me tell you this AI story. So this friend of mine sent me an email a few months ago. He, he used, I think it was the, the chat GPT, GPT. Mm -hmm. right? And he used that and he asked, he wanted an an essay written about organizing the South using the voice of Bill Fletcher. <laughs> and he sent me the results. Now, I can't use exactly the words that I used when I read this, but you can imagine, I said, oh, shit. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This thing read like it could have been from me. And I had nothing to do with it. And then when you see the way that photo cropping is going uh, and what AI is doing, it gets pretty scary. We, people like us, and hopefully people that are watching this, need to really think about what do we do about it? Because you're right that on the one hand, you have a lot of people out there videoing different things, different demonstrations. There's all kinds of stuff coming out of Gaza, but there's also some weird stuff coming out too. All kinds of half-truths and questionable stories, which can lead people down a rabbit hole. I don't have an answer for it, but it's something that I'm really concerned about. Right. 
So I wanted to I wanted to touch back touch base on what you were talking about earlier about MAGA Republicans. Yeah. And um, so when I, I was a Bernie delegate, both in 2016 and 2020, that was the first time that I was really involved in politics was in 2016. Like a lot of us were, a lot of us weren't involved. And then all of a sudden Bernie came out and we're like, oh my God, I see myself in this <laughs> old white dude and right. the things that he's saying, it's clicking. I, I was in the Marines, like I said, I had friends that are super conservative, right-winging guys that would that told me I would have voted for Bernie, but I hated Hillary that much, so I went with Trump. So to me, I, like that's that's like a, a weird thing to think about. But like, how, how do you square that? But but I kind of understood what they were saying. Bernie was able to bring in left-wingers, the Green Party people, independents, labor people, and right-wingers, people that love their guns, people that are super pro-life, people that are about the Second Amendment first. And, and so he was able to bring in these different type of people, and he almost won the primary. I was there. I went to Philadelphia, and I kind of saw the situation, mm -hmm. how it went down. So with that, I see, I've seen you speak about a rainbow coalition. Yeah. Uh, we should be including different factions of society and and different people and that kind of stuff. Should we also be including like MAGA Republicans? Are we going to just throw them away or or let's try to reach out to them and bring them into unions? Because it, there's a lot of union members that are super Trump leaning people. And I, I don't think they're the enemy. I think the establishment, I think our media, I think it's like the corporations are our enemy to labor. And maybe labor transcends all of that, transcends religion, transcends race and where you're from and political ideologies. Because at the end of the day, like we say, people just want to make a paycheck and pay their rent and send their kids to college. So when you speak on Rainbow Coalition, what, do you, what, what is it that you mean exactly uh, by so, that? So you may not agree with this. In fact, you may not agree with anything that I've said today. But No, um, I've agreed. But the, so first of all, I don't really believe that most of these conservatives that said that they would vote for Bernie if he was the nominee would have voted for him. But let me, let me explain. See, one thing that Bernie was talking about that appealed to MAGA workers was about the economy. Yep. Okay. But that wasn't the only thing that Bernie was talking about. And in fact, Bernie was talking about a lot of the stuff that Trump was talking about from a different angle. Yeah, I agree. Right? So that while Trump was talking about demonizing Mexicans, Bernie was talking exactly the opposite. When Trump was talking about um, uh, a women's right to choose and control their body, it, it was like, you see what I mean? They were at yeah. odds. So I'm not convinced that they would have voted. For but let's leave that aside for a second. The, the issue that we face is that there are different reasons that people voted for Trump. And there are different kinds of people. So if you look at voting patterns in the United States, one of the things that you find is that somewhere between 25 and 30% of the, of the electorate consistently vote for the far right, for the right wing. Consistent. And these are people that I call zombies. These are people that have lost their humanity. They don't have empathy. They don't care about you and I. Um, they are people that, when they think about making America great again, they are pretty clear, they mean make America white again. And white male at that. Um, these are people with whom we have nothing in common, except that we have blood running through our veins. Then you have other people that voted 
out of anger. It might have been like the guys we talked about. It might be, but there are others. People that voted out of anger, frustration, anger with the system, very unfocused. Those are people I think we can reach. Um, and we should try to. We shouldn't just be talking to ourselves. But there's a difference between people that are confused and that go different ways. Like I used to be a shipyard worker. And one of the things that I found is that I could talk to some workers, particularly some white workers, and they could be very progressive on certain things. And then you start talking about race and, oh, my God, where are the sheets? Right? I mean, they were just not good. Um, but they didn't see any inconsistency. That's the thing that was amazing. They saw no inconsistency between being racist and being a trade unionist. We're going to have to carry out a struggle. Um, and we're going to have to try to win people over. But people that are willing to listen and people that are willing to engage. When you have people, um, for instance, when you have people that say that Trump won 2020, I can tell you this, there's really no point in talking to them. Because when you look at the preponderance of the evidence, there is no unclarity, none. So for someone to continue to insist, it's equivalent to, I don't know if you ever heard this, something called the Flat Earth Society. Mm -hmm. And these are people that believe that the Earth is flat. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And I remember back in the 60s, there was a Gemini capsule that was flying around the Earth. And the Flat Earth Society sent greetings to them. And they said, we know that the Earth looks round to you, but that's only an optical illusion. How can you have a discussion with people like that? The answer is you can't. So part of what we have to figure out when we're dealing with individuals is, are they delusional or not? Can we have principled disagreement or not? Are they open to changing or not? So it's not just a general thing of, can we win the magus? It sort of, it really comes down to, who are we speaking about? Who are we speaking with? Uh, because I'll tell you that, another example, COVID. Um, with, the, with folks that were um, denying that people were dying from COVID. What do you do with that? I lost six friends. That's not imaginary. I mean, they're not going to pop up tomorrow and come visit me. They are dead. And when people say, well, they didn't really die of COVID, they died of other things. Well, besides being hit by a car, most people, when they die, die of multiple things. But there's usually a principal thing that kills you. These six people died of COVID. More than a million people died of result of this. And you've got people walking around saying, well, it was exaggerated. Huh? It was blown out of proportion. Really? It was all made up. You serious? How do you talk with someone like that? That's part of the political challenge we have. Yeah, so your rainbow coalition that you talk about, who, who would these people be then? Would it be like community members, uh, community organizations, labor? Politics. Most of the people in this country, Most see, I have that little level of optimism mm -hmm. that the idea of the Rainbow Coalition, when it was first raised by Fred Hampton of the Black Panther Party, mm -hmm. and then later in a different form by Mel King when he was running for mayor in Boston, and then still later by Jesse Jackson, was basically breaking people out of their racial ethnic silos, bringing them together to recognize that the vast majority of people in this country are screwed by the rich and the infamous. Mm -hmm. That the vast majority of the people in this country are being ripped off every day by the rich and the infamous. That we're being played like the strings on a violin and that we need to come together to shift 
the power balance. To put the power into the hands, excuse me, put the power into the hands of working people. At the core of the rainbow, working people. And, and so the bottom, that's the bottom line. It's not about bringing people together regardless of their beliefs, because many of those beliefs are going to be antithetical to progress, to anything positive. You know, I, with all due respect to the position uh, on, on um, what you described as a pro-life, when I look at what happened in Texas just last month with a woman who was told that she might die if she had a kid and that the kid was going to be born with serious birth defects and the government of Texas, the governor and the attorney general, thought that they knew more about that woman's body than she did. What do you do with that? I think the only answer to um, organized greed, because that's what's, yeah. going, what's going on right now in the world, is, is organized labor. And like I had mentioned earlier, um, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And I think people can rally around. And I, 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 we've actually had anti-union people comment on our, and say, hey, you know, I don't like unions, but you guys make a point. Right. And I think that the argument, because no one's going to agree on everything, like you said, it's just, that's just the way it is. And, um, but if people can agree on a living wage and who is going to uh, ultimately organize because you could have people saying, hey, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. You know, everyone should make a living wage, but you have to have the institutions. You have to have the organizations. That's we, right. have, we have, you know, labor unions that have strike funds. And those, you know, that has to go through. There's a process for that. And these institutions are really important. But that fire, that, that labor movement, like, you know, this is wrong. You know, people, you know, should we have billionaires? And we have Sean Fain talking about there should be no billionaires. We have, right. we have, we have the Sarah Nelsons, you know, uh, we have the Sean O'Briens. And I think right now the labor in labor, the stars are, are, are coming out. We have Chris Malls who helped form the first labor union on Staten Island for Amazon. So there's this energy and it's hard to measure energy. Like you can measure like elections, like you can measure like, okay, well, let's say, you know, you say this person didn't win. Well, we can measure the irrationality of that. Um, we have um, the votes, we have, there's no evidence, there's no direct evidence or circumstantial evidence to substantiate the position. But the labor movement, I think, is, is not just an institution, it's something inside of you that, that really enables people to, to say, hey, you know what, let's all band together. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, you do, and, and you might have republic, I, I ran a picket line for four and a half months. And I had mm -hmm. 35 people walking on my line the last day and 50% of them were um, from a different political party. I had right. arguments, you know, so, but we knew at the end of the day, the foundation of the labor movement is you have to hold the line. You have to hold but the picket line. I agree with you, but here's the problem that the, the main thing changes over time. So, at one point, uh, most unions in this country would not allow people that look like the three of us to be members. And they would argue that to insist that they should open up was breaking the bonds of trade unionism. Right? Um, there were, uh, not very long ago, uh, unions that would refuse to deal with the issues facing women workers. They said that the issues were divisive and that we should just simply keep focused on wages, hours, and working conditions. People pushed back. So my point is 
that the main thing can change over time when there is struggle, that the main thing is not a stationary object, um, that the, for example, I mean, the, we're talking about uh, foreign policy. There are many unions and union leaders that would say, no, this is not a union matter. It's divisive. We shouldn't be talking about the ceasefire. We should just keep our mouths shut. They would, right? Yeah. But it's people like us that are saying, nope, nope, we're not going to let you. We're going to push, and we're going to keep pushing. That's the thing. The main thing will change. That's the job of people like us. Right. Solidarity. Yeah. To right. keep dragging the party left, to keep dragging labor left. And and, and I, I tell Chris all the time that with this podcast, when we don't need to get sanctioned off by the powers that be. I'm not calling the labor council or my union boss. Hey, can I talk about this topic? They have no idea we're going to, we, we're interviewing you. So mm -hmm. once we put this out, they're going to be like, holy shit, it's a big deal. Cause there are people getting fired for the stances that they're taking right now with the ceasefire. And, but we don't care. We're just doing it. Cause we believe it's the right thing. But you mentioned the uh, next year's election that you don't know what's going to happen next year. Can I yeah. give you my prediction? Yeah. Uh, it's my prediction. Um, I think they're going to run Joe Biden through, through the primary. He's going to get it. Well, he already got it, but he's going to get, get it. And then they're going to put in Gavin Newsom. That's my prediction. They've mm -hmm. been propping up this boy for the past yeah. year. He debated, uh, who is it? DeSantis. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? So now it's like, what's going on with Gavin Newsom? He's over there going to Israel and doing his world tour. So I believe they're propping them up so that he takes over next year. That's my prediction. Okay. Uh, people don't people don't like Gavin Newsom either. I mean, we're in California. People hate Gavin Newsom. There was a recall on him. He vetoed a few labor bills this year. Um, one of them that the Teamsters was pushing, and that had to do with AI, with the truck drivers and AI, and he vetoed it. And and I'm like, okay, well, go ahead and veto that. The Teamsters are pretty strong right now. They just won their UPS contract, so they're pretty organized. So I think they're not propping them up now. Except there there is no primary in the Democratic Party. Like, hey, what are you talking about? Nobody else is running in the Democratic Party, so it's Biden. So they don't make it seem like it's undemocratic. And then then they're gonna swoop in Newsom. But that's just my prediction for next year. I mean, we'll see. See, the thing, at the end of the day, we've got to think strategically and not think like we're voting on one of those uh, television shows where, you know, you vote for your favorite singer. Mm -hmm. um, this is about a balance of power. And no matter who gets put forward, there's going to be some level of opposition coming from some segment within the Democratic Party. Until progressives are better organized, have a real honest-to-goodness base, and we can push the envelope, we're going to be in a weakened position. And we have to just deal with the reality of our situation. What I've been devoting my life to is to increase the, the strength of the left and progressive forces so that we can be in the determining role. Otherwise, we're just victims. You know, now that you brought up Gavin Newsom, he, there was also a bill that he vetoed uh, to allow striking workers to collect unemployment benefits. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, how can you do something like that? You're 400, I, I guess, it, what is it in California, $450? That's barely enough money for food. And, you know, people pay into that. And it's, to me, you know, to form a union busting. Definitely. So you got to put pressure on them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you no, know, it's about struggle. It's not about, it's not about being nice and trying to explain and being disappointed. Oh, he broke our heart. Oh, no. It's like, get out there. And jam him. Right. Right? I mean, it's like, I'm tired of hearing, I'm not criticizing the two of you, but I'm tired of hearing people whining about this and about that. Get out in the damn street 
and pressure. That's what people are doing now around the war. Right. And that's what we need to be doing all the time. Right. It's that kind of pressure. You, see, you know, it's like this is what, what really drives me crazy. So you'll have these uh, uh, school committee meetings and the right wing will show up uh, trying to ban various books. And the question I keep asking is, well, like, where are we? Oh, I know. We're home tweeting. And we're texting. And we're shaking our hands. Oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. And the right wing is getting all the photo ops. They're there putting the pressure on the school committee. And we're right? When, when do we show up, outnumber them, right? And make our point clear. I mean, that, that's what struggle is. It's not about opinion polls. It's not about texting. It's about getting your ass out there on the line. Right. No, definitely. That's why I keep bringing Bernie up. Bernie, once his campaign was over, I feel like the left got shattered. Everybody that I was following on Twitter, Facebook, my friends that I made throughout the campaign, we all picked our own little silos after that. We shattered right. again because we're like, well, that guy is not good enough for me. That woman is not good enough for me because of this. That's right. So we just shattered. So I think the left, we do need a regrouping strategy or something. And that's why I think it's labor. Labor is regrouping us. And we're regrouping labor. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're taking initiative by having this podcast. This is not a full-time gig, by the way. I'm a full-time organizer, union organizer. So I organize workers all the time. I talk to them. And my right. role is to make sure workers have a union and better wages and health care and a pension. And Chris is a rep. He makes sure that every worker gets represented that are under his contract. So trust me, we're out there talking to people. This is just our little bonus round. This is our no, fun that we do. You but know? see, you're doing more than that, Juan. You're actually doing, the two of you are doing more than that. You're not just getting people around wages, hours, and working conditions. What you're doing is you're, you're, you're helping them to build a vehicle to free themselves. You're helping them to build a vehicle that can increase the respect that they deserve. And you're giving them a vehicle that actually can become a mechanism for taking on a whole series of battles beyond what you're talking about right now. That's the beauty of the union. Yeah, that there's know. all kinds of things that are possible. If we organize people and if we engage in a discussion with them, not telling them, but a discussion with them, winning them over. And in some cases, we're going to be won over to other things. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the beauty of the work that the two of you are engaged in. Solidarity, you know, bringing it back and you know, this metaphor, I always think of, um, you know, if you see like blades of grass blowing in the wind, if you see they all, all of them make a sound, every single individual blade of grass makes a sound. And I think sometimes um, that's all the, the problems of the world. And if you had to listen to every single thing that was going on in the world, the sound would be deafening. And I think this podcast, and I think the labor movement is putting a spotlight. And if we can put a spotlight on something and whatever that spotlight is, uh, you know, labor movement, I think is going to be a part of that and solidarity, organizing. And like you said, everyone deserves a union. Yeah. Well, well, Bill, I think we've been on for like an hour. We usually shoot for about an hour. Uh, thank you for coming on. Do you have any you. like last words or um, like I said, we, we're just starting out. We've been out for a year uh, with this podcast, but we've had pretty big guests on, and we're the only, uh, we're the hottest labor podcast, um, and the hottest labor podcast in San Diego. Self-proclaimed. So, Self-proclaimed, but because uh, there is no other in San Diego, <laughs> except for these guys. These guys are the other the, the Valley Labor Report, and they're out of yeah. Alabama. This is their shirt. I, I bought their shirt just in solidarity with them. We're planning on flying them in. But um, do you have any last words for, for our viewers, you know, on your stance or what you believe in? Or how do we build, how do, how do we come out of this hole? How do we get as many people to take that stance of ceasefire? 
how do we how do we check the MAGA Republicans that you're talking about? How do we how do we build this coalition and this solidarity amongst all workers to get out of the hole that we're in? See, the problem is you're asking me now to give a speech. Yeah. And uh, so so we're out of time. So you'll have to have me back. <laughs> in person, um, hopefully. Yeah, in person. I, that would be great. Uh, my final words would be these. Um, we're not engaged in a sprint. We're engaged in a long distance race. And we don't know what the outcome of this race will be. Uh, that we have no guarantees that we'll succeed. But we do have guarantee that if we don't keep running, we will fail, we will lose. Um, and therefore we need organization. Uh, organization is the only thing that really can give us the ability to win. Uh, we're not ever gonna have more money than the other side. There's no time in history that the oppressed have had more money than the oppressor. Um, we're not going to have more television stations. We're not going to have more uh, uh, super platforms. All we got is organization. That's why organization is critical. We build it and we can win. We remain isolated and we're toast. Cool. Thank there you for you having go. me on the program. Thank you, Bill. Thank you very much, sir. Well, there you okay. go, Chris. There goes another episode of Union or Bust. Um, and uh, we'll catch you on the, on the flip side. Have a good one, everyone.